0: All right. Well, thank you all for coming out, ladies. It's the first of our Tyler's Food Fridays for this year. We're really looking forward to these times together and just covering some things and yeah, just even just spending an evening together as ladies. We just love so. Thank you for coming out to that. And a big thank you to Patrick, who has organised all our food and desserts for tonight. He's been running around like a headless chicken all week, particularly doing his solo parenting as well as Meg's been away on a cap course. So he's done a great job doing that. And then Meg and the girls got here early tonight and put it all out. So. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chavez, for all you've done for that. It's been a great, great spread so far. All right, well, to start off with, as um, those of you that know me will know this anyway, but I'm just going to put it out there, a um, bit of a disclaimer, I have not got it all together. I'm not sitting here talking because, you know what, I've made it. I'm, I'm here in the uh, godliness um, character that is definitely not me. I am stood here. I'm on a journey like the rest of you, and I am stood here on the shoulders of a lot of other people. You know, I don't have original thoughts. I think I've said that before. I re- I learn. I read books. I learn from other people. and I'm definitely stood on the shoulders of others tonight. I was talking to um, Maddie Spring, who most of you will know, but if you don't, she's at um, Parsons College over in America with Riley. I was talking to her like last month or a month before, I think it was. and and she said, so much of what they're teaching me, you've already taught me. I'm like, yes, that's because they taught me that. And that's how you know. <laughs> so I'm just putting it out there that, you know, I'm still on the shoulders of a lot of other women that I've been, had the privilege to be influenced by. And actually from tonight, one of the, uh, on the messages I've been doing has been based a lot on the Shopping for Time book, which I know some of you have read that, and I highly recommend it. It's written by the Mahaney girls, Carrie, Nicole, Kristen, and Janelle. And so a lot of this is their work, and I'm basing it on that and the blog. Post they did on the whole shopping for time. So um, if you open your Bible, see Ephesians 5 and we'll get stuck in. That's got them with you. Oh, yeah. All right, if you are making notes, the title for tonight is Redeeming the Time. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, verses 15 through to 17. Basically, in Ephesians 5, Paul is giving instructions for holy living. He's talking about things to put on and he's talking about things to avoid. And then from verse 15, he says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Would you pray with me before we start? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to come together as women and to Fellowship together and to open up your Word together, Lord. And I just pray that you would be with us tonight. I pray that ultimately you would be glorified. I pray that you would speak to each speak to each one of us here, that we would be challenged and encouraged by your words. Would it be your words that we hear, Father? Would you help me in my weakness? So would you ultimately be glorified through the evening? Amen. All right. Well, it's eight years this year since we moved to Australia. Eight years in June, actually. And one of my well, I wouldn't say favourite memories, but a memory that sticks in my mind, I think during the first year we moved here, was when I went on a bushwalk. The first bushwalk I'd been on, I think it was with a couple of ladies, I think, that are in this room. we <laughs> name my names, Meg. <laughs> she was definitely one of them. Anyway, I had no idea about bushwalks. You don't have bushwalks in the UK. You know, there's a little bit of woods here and there. But um, I knew nothing, so I was not prepared. Um, And I actually just went in, like, thongs and shorts. I'm just like, yeah, I'm ready, let's go. And we're like, to be fair, no one's said anything to me about, like, you know what, maybe you want to change your footwear. (laughs) Anyway, we're walking down this track, going downhill, I think we're heading towards a beach area. Um, And Meg Meg just goes, she's, like, walking behind that thing, and she suddenly goes, oh, brown snake. I'm like, where? (laughs) I had literally, in thongs, just trodden over a brown snake. I didn't even see the thing. Like, seriously, I had no idea what a brown snake was. You know, in the UK, you don't have animals that kill you. It's just not the way around. We kill animals, but they don't kill us. <laughs> so I was not thinking. I was not prepared. I was not walking carefully. I was not dressed for the occasion. I was not being wise in any way, shape, or form. Um, and here in Ephesians, Paul is calling us to walk very differently through our lives than the way I walked on that walk. He is calling us to be wise. He's calling us to look carefully. He's calling us to be be prepared. And so here's what I want to encourage us all in tonight, as we look at this passage. On the different pathways of life that God has called us to walk, would we look carefully? Would we walk wisely? And would we redeem the time that God has given us? for his glory. He has called us to many different pathways, but he's all called us to the same thing in this, that we are to walk wisely. We are to look carefully. We are to redeem the time that he has given us for his purposes and for his glory. And so then there are two things that I want us to do for the rest of tonight as we unpack the reality of what does that look like. Firstly, what does it mean to look carefully how we walk? And then secondly, spend the rest of the evening just what are some ways we can redeem the time and walk wisely on the different pathways that we are on. We're all on different pathways. Our lives look very different. So what are some of the ways that we can redeem the time and walk wisely on those pathways? Right, first up then, what does it mean to look carefully how we walk? You know, I looked up the word carefully in the dictionary. It says, cautious in one's actions, taking pains in one's work, exact, thorough. I mean, those words are, they're careful words. They're like, you're not going to just be haphazardly looking through those. You're being careful. You're taking your time. You're slowing down. You know, you're thinking about what you're doing. We say it to kids all the time. I mean, I do it every time they go outside in their scooters, scooters in Savannah in particular. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Don't let me tell the kids to work out. So, be careful, be careful, stop, use your brakes. You know, you say it to people when they go on long drives, drive carefully. Yet, yeah, so often, do we actually live that way? Are we living looking carefully? Are we living being wise? Are we living thinking about what we're doing? Are we living a bit like the way I went on that bushwalk? blindly, not really thinking about it, just taking each step as it comes. So often that is how we do. We just let the days happen and we deal with the consequences. We've not really put much thinking into it. We've not really been looking carefully or walking wisely. But Ephesians 5 tells us to live the way we should go on a bushwalk. It tells us to walk wisely. It tells us to look carefully, making sure you've got what you need, You've planned out the track, you know the different sides, the different routes, you know how long it's going to take, so you're not going to get lost in the bush, you know, we, that's the way we want to live. We want to live wisely and looking carefully. We want to be examining what's around us, taking it in, not not having any surprises jump out on us that we weren't expecting. So then what does it mean to look carefully? Well, the first thing it means is examine the pathway on. If you're going to look carefully, you've actually got to look <laughs> Deep, see, I know. Yeah, you've actually (laughs) got to look around, you've got to examine what is around you, you've got to look behind you. Look behind you on the pathway of life. Examine your life this far. Avoid making the same mistakes. We all make mistakes. I'm 38 and I've made plenty of mistakes. (laughs) I could already write a book, I'm sure. But so look back, examine your life this far, avoid making those same mistakes. Look back and see what went well so that we can repeat the things that have gone well, repeat the successes. When we look forward, we look forward and plan and think and consider our options. What can we see? What things are coming ahead? We look forward and we examine our hearts. Because you know what? Sometimes I think we make choices and we do things because that's what we want to do. Rather than maybe that's not what God's calling us to do. We look forward and we examine our hearts, prayerfully considering, is this what God wants for me? Is this what he's called me to? Or is this just something I'm pushing in my agenda? And we look around us. We look at what went well that we can continue, we look at what do we need to change, and we look to others, you know, we're on this journey together, that's one of the things I love about this, is we're called to walk together, we're not called to be solo walkers. We look to others, those around us, the whole Titus 2 principle, we look to women that have gone before us, look to those around you, look to people that are slightly ahead of you on the path, what are they, ask them questions. But look to people that are going to give you biblical responses, not just tell you what they think, but look to people that are going to say, you know, here's what the Bible said to me in this. Here's what God encouraged me in when I was walking that path. Look to people that are actually going to point us back to Jesus. And most importantly, we look up. We look up to seek guidance from our heavenly Father through prayer and his word. In Ephesians 5, 17, it says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, That doesn't mean that we have to try to understand his secret, his hidden will, you know. There are things that are too lofty for us to understand that we're never going to know. But what it's talking about is his revealed will in Scripture. To study his word. God, as we've been learning about in James, God gives wisdom to those who ask. If we're reading his words, if we're seeking wisdom, if we're looking up to him, he will guide us. He is our creator, and he will guide us down the path that he has created for us. And we look up and we remember who God is. We remember this because he is sovereign. He is the one that has put us on that path. There are many references in the Bible that God plans our paths. From life's first cry to final death, he has commanded our destiny. He sets the boundaries for our lives. He numbers our days. He knows everything. Nothing is a surprise to him. As much as we might get shocked now and again, there's nothing that's a surprise to God. He's planned it. He knows what's going to happen. So we look up to him. We know he's sovereign. Proverbs 16:9 says, "The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps." Now that should bring so much comfort. I was just dwelling on that about dwelling on that a bit this week. You know, that we plan, we make plans, which is good, but the Lord is the one that moves our steps forward. And how encouraging is that? That He chooses our path. It's not an accident the path we're on. I love the way um, Spurgeon writes. He says. Remember this: Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. That's so encouraging. That's one of my like all-time favorite quotes. But it's just, any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are? Divine love would have put you there. Put you there. You're not on the path because he's forgotten about you. You're not on the path because he's busy moving somebody else at the moment. He'll be back later. You know, it's not how God works. We're on the path we are. We're on because his divine love has put us there, because he is sovereign over all things, over all of our days. And he has a plan for us, and he's good. He's sovereign, but he is good. I know that kind of sounds obvious, but I think sometimes we can forget that. Psalm 171 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Michael McAfee, who was at, had actually written a blog for the together for the gospel, it was actually a blog, he was talking about him and his wife's um, struggle with infertility, and I love what he said. He said this, he said, God isn't good because of the good he does, but because of who he is. And I was like, that is so true. But so often we can be focused on God is good because of what he's done. I mean we even hear people say it sometimes. Good things happen and you know, people get a get a new job they've been after, they pass exams, they get married, they have kids. Oh, isn't God good? I, like I even saw it I think a while ago on Facebook, which was it was good. Somebody had been um, was in cancer, was in remission. And people are like, God is so good. It's like, yes, he is good. But he's also good when that person doesn't get healed of cancer. He's also good when that baby never happens. He's also good when that marriage never happens. He's also good when we don't get healed from our sicknesses. He's good not because of what he does. He's good because of who he is. Because he is holy. Because he's righteous. Because he's just. That is why God is good, not because of he does everything we want him to do for us. You know, he is sovereign and He is good. And no else, he loves us. Sometimes it might not feel like that, hey? Particularly if you go through a particularly challenging pathway. So how do we know that? How do we know that God loves us, even when maybe we don't feel that? Well, we know it because of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now I reckon probably just about every person in this room could quote me that verse without even needing to open their Bible. Um, But I think as much as it's a very familiar verse, it's very important that we don't get familiar with the concept of that. So if you listen to that again, for God so loved the world, God so loved you, God so loved me, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When you really meditate on that and when you really think about the reality... I mean, I have five kids. I can't imagine giving one of them up for anyone. But to give your only son for people that are running away from you that don't want that, that aren't asking for that, is actually quite staggering. And that's how we know that he loves us. But I think sometimes we can think of God as... Almost like life is a big game of chess and he's like up there moving the pawns and the horses and I'm not really a chess player, but all the kings and queens <laughs> around. I'm not quite sure how it works, but I think sometimes we think of God like that. He's just standing up, he's not he's not emotionally involved, he's not there, he's not present, he's just moving around because you know, he's sovereign, he's in charge, which he is, but he loves us. He says Psalm hundred and forty-seven verse three says this. He said, He heals the broken hearted and binds up their wounds. That's not a far off God. Some of it's close. He heals the broken hearted. He sees your broken heart. He binds up your wounds. There's a real kind of a tender, affectionate sense to that. He's not far off. He's not distant. is right there with us. Because we're his children. He loves us. He cares for us. He weeps with us. You know, I have this, like, like I said, I have five kids, and I love them all. I have this really, really embarrassing, annoying habit, but, like, they cry, I cry. It's just what happens. So, I mean, which is really bad, I and mean, I've not always been like that. I mean, Dave used to come with the ice cream, so I didn't cry about anything. <laughs> but somehow, having kids changed that. And, you know, we always have this bit of a joke now, when they start crying, like, don't cry, don't cry, because you know what's going to happen. <laughs> and it did happen to me last week in the kitchen, One of the kids came in, and to, to start off, they were angry about something, and they're angry turned into tears and they were talking about something that happened and they did this. I crying and I could just feel the tears rolling <laughs> down my face. And I'm like, what is up with that? I'm like seriously. It's even more embarrassing if you're in public. But um anyway, the point is as an imperfect mother, if I feel that way about my kids, if it hurts me that much to see them crying, how much more does God, as the perfect father who loves us more than I could ever love my kids. How much more does it hurt him? How much more does he grieve? You know, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. He stopped and wept with people. He loves us. He cares for us. We are his children. And so what does it mean to look carefully than how we walk? We examine the pathway that we're on. We look backwards, the past mistakes. We look forwards. We plan. We examine our hearts. We look around and we look up. We remember who God is. But in order to do all these things, we actually need to stop. You know, if you're running along a pathway, I don't think it's going to go very well for you, to be honest. In fact, I spoke to Simon Wood a couple of times about running. Not that I like running too much, but he does. He even likes running through the bush. And he just was saying about the number of times he's actually fallen over as he's been running through the bush. And you know what? I think that's what happens to us in life. If we don't slow down as we're running along the pathway, we're going to trip. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to miss opportunities that God has planned for us. We can make bad decisions. But that can be a challenge, can't it? I think particularly in today's world, there is so much to do. Everyone is busy. Nobody ever says, yeah, you know, got nothing on this week. Just, you know, lying around. You know, people don't say that. We're busy. You know, I've got kids in school. I see their homework. I hate homework. I hated my homework. And I hate my kids' homework. I mean, I just hate it. There's so much going on. Then you, at work, work busy with work. People are busy with families. People are busy with church stuff. You know, we are busy. Good things, not even bad things. We can be busy with good things. But if we don't slow down, and if we don't stop, and if we don't look around us, and if we don't take in the opportunities that God has put in there, then we're going to take those wrong turns. We're going to make those mistakes. We're going to miss those opportunities. We need to stop, and we need to slow down. And we need to plan. Plan our path. Seek God in prayer and reading his word about... What does he have for us? You know, I think one thing that I try to do is to take a bit of a personal retreat. I try to do it each year. And again, in this book, she does a great job of just outlining a personal retreat and the different priorities to consider. And she talks you through And it can just be really profitable just to take some time out, even if it's a couple of hours, just to consider, okay, what, what pathway am I on? What are my priorities in this season? How are they going? Is there something I need to change? Is there something, you know, what can I keep doing? It's just a real great thing to do, so I definitely would encourage you just to do that, even if you can do it for a few hours, so that on the different pathways that we're on, the different pathways that God has sovereignly called us to, that we would look carefully, that we would walk wisely, and that we would redeem the time that he has given for us, for his purposes, and for his glory. So for the reminder of the timing, this is what I want to do. I want to just look at some ways that we can redeem our time and walk wisely on the different pathways that we are on and there are many different pathways and pathways change. I think if you think back to your life five years ago, may well have looked quite differently to what it does now. Maybe you've had kids, maybe you got married, maybe you changed jobs, maybe you left school. Pathways change and there's five pathways in particular that I want us to consider tonight. The first is the teenage years. Second is the single years. The third is married without kids. Fourth is married with kids. Five is the open nesters. I kind of changed that from empty nesters because I, I still read it in a book recently and it said. You know, we used to call them empty nesters, but actually in reality, the nest is open. People keep coming back. I even heard on the radio the other day, they said the new generation is like the boomerang generation. (laughs) You send them out and they come straight back again. I'm like, that is so true, just ask Jimmy (laughs) Passwich. to tell you all about it. You know, kids, they return home, particularly in Sydney, when it's so expensive to live. You know, often that does happen. And anyway, don't panic. I'm not going through in great detail, all those pathways, otherwise it would turn into breakfast as well. But um, just to give us a couple of things, okay, what can we consider? What are some of the opportunities those particular pathways give to us? But just to encourage you, don't switch off until your pathway comes up. Many of us are going to be covering Mm. these pathways in our life. Um, And a number of these things that we're going to talk about actually cover different pathways, different seasons. They're not all just on the one. And we also want to be able to encourage each other on the different pathways that we're on. So... Let's listen up and let's just see what God is calling us to in these different seasons, the different pathways that we're on. Now, most importantly for every season, which I'm kind of assuming we all know, is to sit as used speak, because we've talked about that a lot lately. So I'm obviously not going to repeat that through every different thing, but just to put it out there. And also, it's not an exhaustive list. I'm not going to go through in great detail. And some of these things we will come back to um, throughout the year. So, but first of all, the teenage years. Which is mostly the group at the back, including armor. still teenagers <laughs> That's great. Now, my heart goes out to you teenagers. I think you have got a tough gig growing up in te- as teenagers in the times that we're in. Um, it says in Ephesians 5:16 says, "The days are evil. The days are so evil. Like seriously, you face challenges that I don't even think about. You know? I didn't have social media when I was going to high school. You know, people weren't able to contact me at like a pick of a button. I had like, you know, phone calls in the kitchen where everyone can hear exactly what you're saying. <laughs> you know, but now there are so many different voices. There's so many ways of the media getting in. There's so many different voices coming in that I think it's tough. Being a teenager is tough going through this time. So just to encourage you in that, encourage us all in that to be praying for these girls, to be encouraging these girls where they can because I think it's a tough time. I think there's a lot of brambles. I think there's a lot of wrong signposts telling you what would be good, what you should be doing, what you should be thinking. Is there even truth anyway? Who knows? Isn't just everything okay? I think all these voices are coming at you. So I think it's really tough. And therefore, the first way that you can redeem your time in the teenage years I think, is to walk wisely and to grow in fearing the Lord. The book of Proverbs is actually written by Solomon. It addresses a young man. And the whole theme of it is to, if you want to be wise, if you want to be prosperous, to grow in fearing the Lord. And that's what I encourage you girls in. Grow in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 31.30 says this, "says charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I think in the world we're in, there's a pressure to look good. There's a pressure to have a certain body shape. There's a pressure to wear certain clothes. You know, If you want to be successful, if you want to be happy, if you want to be popular, which you've got to be popular if you want to be successful and happy, you've got to look a certain way. If you want to be happy, you've got to earn a certain figure because if you don't earn that amount of money, there's just no way you're going to survive and you won't be happy. These are all lies of the world. They're all lies of the enemy, lies that the enemy uses to detract us from growing in the fear of the Lord if we're putting our trust in him where we find our true satisfaction and our true joy. So be girls that grow in the fear of the Lord. But what does that mean? I think that can be a bit confusing. And um, you can think of it as, well... Fear the Lord, does that mean that he's like some scary, angry dad in the sky that I just have to be really scared of? That's not what the fear of the Lord means. The fear of the Lord is often put alongside the love of God. There's kind of no contradictions in that. And PJ Bryce writes this, he says, the true fear of God is a childlike fear. It is a combination of holy respect and go love. To fear God is to have a heart that is sensitive to both his goodness and his graciousness. It means to experience great awe and a deep joy simultaneously when one begins to understand who God really is and what he has done for us. Therefore the true fear of God is not a fear that makes a person run away and flee from God. It's a fear that drives him to God. The fear of the Lord is not a fear that makes us run from God. The fear of the Lord is a fear that drives us to him in awe and wonder at who he is. And then the fear of the Lord begins with prayer. It's not actually something we can do ourselves because it's a heart thing. We can't change our hearts. But we can position ourselves to experience God's grace in that. We can study God, study who he is, study his attributes. I think for me, growing up, a lot of the time I had this view of God. He's a bit of a Santa in the sky that was kind of, you know, there if you need him. But not. I wasn't really too involved, didn't really know much about his attributes. So I encourage you girls, study his attributes. Ask your parents, how can I grow in the fear in the Lord. What can I study? What can I read? What books of the Bible should I be reading? What books that have been written to help me understand that? What can I read? And the second thing I would encourage you to do, first thing is grow in the fear of the Lord. Second thing is to prioritise your relationship with your man. And I know that's very contrary to what the world would tell you, but all of you ladies, all of you teenagers in this room are blessed to have a godly man and by godly, I don't mean perfect. <laughs> I'm sorry, not a perfect mum. Any of my kids will tell you that. But I think to have a mum that is seeking to love Jesus, that is seeking to know his word, that is seeking seeking to grow to be the woman that he's called her to be, that is a gift. And to so just encourage you, prioritise that relationship. The world will tell you that us mums know nothing, that what your friends think are more important, that what the latest blog, has written is the most important because you know they really get you they really understand you so they're the people that you should look to but Proverbs 1 8 says this it says hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a gray garland for your head and pendants for your neck you know God has uniquely picked your mom for you it's not accident the family that you were born into God has uniquely picked her he has uniquely gifted her to teach you and to train you So build on that relationship. Listen to her teaching. I've just got a few questions for you. How would you describe your attitude to your mum and her role God has given her as the primary influence in your life? Who is the first person you go to for advice? Is it your friends? Maybe your youth workers? Again, all not bad things. Whose advice do you trust the most? Who do you go to for comfort in difficult times? Who do you really open up to? Who do you really tell who you're, how you're feeling? Who do you go to when you're looking for guidance and in making decisions? You know, your mum really should be the answer to most of those questions. And what's saying your mum has to be a BFF? I keep telling you that she's that I'm her BFF. <laughs> but I think it's quite there yet, yeah, you know, I'm on But um your mum really should be the answer to most of those questions because that's God's gift to you to prioritize that relationship and grow in the fear of the Lord. Number two is the path of singleness. Now you know what singleness presents some unique opportunities in that it just gives you a bit more time. And I know sometimes I can even cringe having to say that because I know we're not saying not busy, we know you can be busy, but it can give you a bit more time that you can decide what to do with. But you know, it also presents some unique trials. And I really don't want to minimise that. I know there are some trials that are unique to singleness. A loneliness, financial burden. There are definitely things that are challenging in that season. And actually the good thing is that Brittany Coughlin, uh, Bob Coughlin's daughter, is coming over with him in June. And she's actually going to spend a whole evening talking to us on this subject. Which I'm really excited and really looking forward to. And she will do a way better job and is way more qualified to speak of that. She's actually one of seven and she's the only daughter or only child actually has the coffin, so she isn't married so she's just going to do a great job of just, I'm looking forward to hopefully coming here on a Friday night and I think hopefully the plan is to get again with us again that weekend so really looking forward to that but maybe as you look around on the path of singleness, maybe even your heart sank when you heard what this message was going to be on and thought oh no, not again maybe you don't see any good things maybe you only see the trials maybe it's been a long path And maybe you're weary of that. Maybe five years ago you were on it. And maybe you're thinking, am I really going to be on this path in five years' time? And maybe you're tired of that. It's been long, and you're weary. But you know what? Paul speaks into the gift of singleness. In 1 Corinthians 7, 34 and 35, he says this, And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband's, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any strain upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So what is one way that we can redeem the time and walk the path of singleness? Undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, undivided devotion to the Lord actually is cultivated. It starts with sitting at Jesus' feet. starts with sitting at his feet and reading his word and prayer and in building that personal relationship because You know, you're not going to give undivided devotion to someone you don't really love. You're like, oh gosh, is that what I've got to do? Okay, tell me what I've got to do. Give me a list. That's not going to work. That's not how you're going to live your life devoted to Jesus. You're going to live your life devoted to Jesus when you're passionate and when you love him. So start there. Start cultivating that that relationship with Jesus that will flow. That undivided devotion will flow out of that. You won't be able to help yourself. It's if Christ love compels us, and that's what we want for undivided devotion. John Piper says this, he says, you have a unique calling and a unique responsibility. It is not a calling to extend irresponsible adolescence into your 30s. It is a calling to do what only single men and women in Christ can do in this world, namely to display by Christ's exalted devotion of your singleness the truths about Christ and his kingdom that shine more clearly through singleness than through marriage. What an opportunity that is. You, as single ladies, can display truth about Christ to the world around that us as married can't do. That is a gift that is unique to your season. And to understand some more of those truths that you're called to display, you can listen to, um that's say, from a John Piper sermon on sing- on call single in Christ, a name better than sons and daughters. And it's actually on the desiring. God blog. There's also Brittany Coffin, they put a more recent one up actually on her Facebook page, which I'll probably try and put a link to on the SG Women's page. Just some great resources to go to, just to encourage you in the season you're in. But here are some questions that just want you to consider tonight. Am I anxious about the things of the Lord or the things of this world? What do you think about when you go to bed at night? What plays on your mind? What's the first thing that comes into your mind when you wake up in the morning? Is my life full of Christ-exalting devotion? What is your life saying to those people around you? Is it saying that Christ is enough? What does my singleness say about Christ and his kingdom? Is Christ enough or is it Christ and something else? You know, they're hard questions to consider, but I think they're good questions to consider. And, you know, in preparing for this message, I just couldn't help but be grateful for the single ladies. I think this is definitely not a corrective message. I think you guys do a great job. I think you serve well. I think you build relationships well. I think, you know, you get around people. You're involved in the church. I think you are exalting Christ in the way you do. So, again, I just want to encourage you, keep doing what you're doing. It's not a corrective. It's not because I think you need to grow in all these different areas. It's because I just want to encourage you, keep doing, keep pursuing an undivided devotion to the Lord and keep serving Him. Number three is married without kids. You know, in many ways, this can bring similar opportunities to that of singleness, and that you don't have the demands of, and family as yet. So there's just a couple of things I want to encourage you in here. One is prioritize your husband. Genesis one twenty-four says this therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I just want to encourage you ladies, become one flesh with your husband. Do things together. Don't continue to live as two single people share the same house. Don't continue to live as just Housemates where he goes off to his friends, you go off to your friends, and he does this and do that, and yeah, you might meet up for a meal now and again. Be married, be united. Live as husband and wife. Be united, be one flesh with your husband. You know, he is your pastor. He's your primary pastor and he's your leader. He's who God has called to lead you. So value his opinion above all others. Who is the first person that you go to for advice? If you're married, that should be your husband not your best friend, not your mum. All those things are good, good to get other people's opinions, but the first person that you should be speaking to, the first person you should be going to do counsel, should be your husband. And continue to date your husband. You know, marriage, much as in the movies it looks like it's all, you know, hearts and romance, marriage takes work. You don't tend to drift towards each other, you actually tend to drift away from each other. So keep building into your marriage. Keep dating your husband. Keep studying him. What does he enjoy? How can you bless him? How can you encourage him? And number two is invest in relationships. Now this is one for all of us. I've actually had a bit of a battle. Okay, which even area should I put this one in? But I put it in this one under the Married Without Kids because my burden for you, if you are married and you're without kids, invest in relationships now. Because if, Lord willing, God brings children along, your time diminishes and the opportunity to do that, although still there, definitely is less. So invest now in women that can encourage you, that can walk that road with you, that can point you to Jesus. You know what, we are relational beings. We are created by a relational God. We are made in his image. You know what, there's a triune God. One God, three persons, they're relational. We were created in his image to be relational. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of god built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for god the spirit we are fellow citizens we are family we are members of a household we are created for community, we weren't just saved to be reconciled into a relationship with God. We were saved to be reconciled into a relationship with each other. So invest in those relationships. Invest in your friends. But what do you look for in a friend? If you're looking for friendship, what is it that attracts you to someone? Is it someone that makes you laugh? Someone that's got similar interests to you? Some of you just think, oh, I just, we just click. You know? Which, again, it's not a bad thing. Someone that's going to just accept you as you are and never never challenge you, but just love you for who you are. You know, the Bible has a fair amount to say to us about friends and the kind of friends that we should look for. Proverbs twelve twenty six says, tells us to choose our friends carefully. It says, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbour, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. How powerful is that? One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbour, but the way of the wicked leads him astray astray. You know, our closest friends should not be unbelievers. We all need unbelieving friends, I trust we know that. I have unbelieving friends, some of them I would definitely call close friends, but they're not the people I'm closest to. They're not the people I'm going to go to for advice primarily, because they're not going to point me to the Bible. As much as they might love me and they might seek to care, they're not going to give me biblical counsel. So as much as it's good to have unbelieving friends, it's good to have good unbelieving friends, they shouldn't be the people that you're closest to. We need friends who sharpen. Proverbs 27:17 says this. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Who do you have in your life that sharpens you? Who do you have in your life that inspires you to serve, that encourages you, that challenges you and corrects you? Somebody that's going to be prepared to ask that question. Hey, you know what? When you said that, what did you mean? Something that's going to come alongside for you. We all need to be looking for friends like that. But particularly if you are married, you don't have kids yet. Invest in those relationships. Build those relationships that are going to last, that you're going to be able to do life with, that when kids come along, they're going to be able to point you to Jesus. And friends for mentorship. Titus 2 is very clear of old women teaching and training young women in biblical womanhood. Who are the ladies in your life that you are seeking to look for, look to mentoring for? Who are you pursuing? Who are you asking questions? Who are you seeking to grow in God? Who do you look at and you think, you know what, in that area, I'd really like to be like them. See the way they trust God through that suffering. How did they do that? Who are you asking those questions of? And then who are you seeking to influence and mentor? Who are you seeking to come alongside and encourage? We're all older women to some people and we're all younger women to other people. We should all be looking into that mentoring relationship. Okay, so number four, if you're married with kids, how do we look carefully? How do we walk wisely? Number one is you preach the gospel to yourself every day. And, you know, I know this is important for all, all seasons, but I think it can be particularly important when you're married and you've got kids. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The truth of the gospel to our souls are what food is to our body. Yet they nourish us. They strengthen us. They sustain us. We need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to be constantly reminding ourselves of these dreams That God sent his son to live that perfect life. To die in our place. That we're not justified by our works. We're not justified by how good a man we've been. If I was justified by how good a man we've been, I'd be stuffed. Seriously. Like, every day, I'd be stuffed. And I think the man guilt that we can experience, that we have to battle, can be so strong. So preach that gospel to yourself. It's important every season, but it's particularly important when you've got young kids. You need to be reminding yourselves of these truths. It can be an isolating time. Maybe you're not hearing many messages because you're out with a crying baby or you keep getting called out from crash or whatever it be. Maybe you're not getting to life group because you don't have babysitters. Maybe you're feeling that isolated, so it'd be encouraging to preach the gospel to yourself. And it will look different. To what it used to look. It might not look like a half an hour quiet time every day. Sometimes there's a moment you don't get to go to the toilet by yourself, let alone have quiet time. So it might look different, you might have to adjust what that looks like. But read, put verses up around your house, listen to music, put podcasts on, listen to sermons, just as you're around in the house, put on things that are gonna encourage you and that are gonna preach the gospel to yourself. And number two, prioritize your husband. This is the best way that you can make use of the time. Another way that you can make the best use of your time when you're married with the kids. Again, kids this can be hard when you've got kids kids of all ages are time consuming for different reasons and it can be hard to prioritize your husband in fact the world will tell you don't worry about your husband you know he's big enough to look after himself you've got to prioritize your kids they really need you because you know they're young they're little they need you but that's not what scripture teaches us scripture actually makes it clear that after our relationship with god our relationship with our husband is to be the highest priority Genesis two eighteen says this. Then the Lord God said, but "It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him." You know, we were created our husband's helper before we were created and given the role of a man. and that sticks. We are primarily a husband and wife before we are a mother, and that can seem wrong. It can seem not right, but actually, you know what? It's the best thing you can do for your kids. The best thing you can do for your kids. Kids feel secure when they've got a mum and dad that they know love each other. Kids. They follow the example. What kind of people do you want your kids to grow up to be? What kind of people do you want your kids to grow up to marry if, they, if God has that for them? To be an example to our kids in that, and to prioritise our husbands. So I encourage you: ask your husband when you're feeling brave. <laughs> I will do the same. Do you feel my number one priority, or does it feel like work, kids, friends, hobbies? Oh yeah, and then my husband. Does he feel like your number one priority? You might say he is. I've had times where I would say, yeah, Dave's my number one priority, but he hasn't actually felt that. He's kind of had to battle to get my time. Does he feel like your number one priority? Ask him, what can I do that make you feel my number one priority? And that's going to be different for each guy. Each guy appreciates different things. It might be that it's time to talk. I know Dave likes it if he comes in. And at some point before we go to bed, there's time just to touch base about the day, just to download a little bit. Maybe it's to go out and have fun. Maybe just to make some time regular to do that. Or maybe he would just appreciate you taking an interest in a hobby. You know, Maybe he likes the rugby or whatever else it is. Maybe he just wants you to do something with him, to be with him. You know what? Pray that God would help you. Because it can be hard. At times, particularly when you've got kids, you can sometimes feel more like business partners or have flatmates, housemates than you do, husband and wife. Because it can just really up your time. So pray that God would help you. Pray that God would help you maintain... And keep your husband a priority. And number three, tra- train your kids. We're actually going to talk more about this. Our first title to mums is on the 7th of April. So we'll talk a bit more, about it, bit, bit more about that then. But to begin with, just after your relationship with the Lord and after your relationship with your husband, train your kids. There is nothing more important. In whatever age they are, we are to train them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's what we're called to do as parents. Ephesians six one four says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up for the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know what? We must train our kids. Whatever age they are, we are called to train them. And to do this takes time. When they're younger it takes time, teaching them to obey, teaching them that they're under authority. Sowing the seeds for the gospel, putting the platform of truth in. And I just want to put this in there because it comes up so often. It is not wrong for a mum to work. So often at Sovereign Grace we hear like, oh, Sovereign Grace thinks that mum shouldn't work. We don't think that. We never said that. Sovereign Grace thinks that you can't argue that from the Bible. What you can argue from Scripture is that training your kids needs to be a priority. That's what Sovereign Grace believes. But that doesn't mean that you can't work, you shouldn't work, that it's not biblical to work. That is never. That is not what we're saying. But you know, training your kids doesn't finish when they hit school age that. It takes time when they're older. It takes time to talk, to listen, to build those relationships. Point them back to Jesus. Asking yourself, asking them, what does the Bible say about this? What wisdom are we giving our kids? Who are we pointing them to? As they hit those teenage years, I just encourage you, don't pull back. Again, the world says give them space, let them develop, find who they want to be. Satan doesn't do that. Satan's gonna go after your teenagers. Satan's gonna use all he can to distract them, to take them on the wrong path. I encourage you, press in, build those relationships. Spend time, listen to them, talk to them, ask them questions, find about their days, find about what's going on, what are you thinking about? Sometimes we are driving on the car and I say, Josh, what are you thinking about right now? He's like, nothing, like, you're be thinking about something. <laughs> so just talk to them, build those relationships. It takes time. But you know, particularly if you have daughters, Again, as we said with the teenagers, you're on. Biblical womanhood. Your husband is not going to be teaching your daughter biblical womanhood. That's for a fact. And if we're not teaching our daughters, if we're not the ones influencing, influencing them, then the world is going to, the media is going to, they're going to believe what they hear. They're going to believe what they hear at school. They're going to believe what they read on Facebook. We need to be building those relationships. We need to be influencing our kids and training them. And I encourage you, read parenting books. Basically, anything by um, the trips is great. Sheppard at Child's Heart, Age of Opportunity. Um, and also, Don't Make Me Count to Three by Ginger Plowman is great too. And we have loads of resources in the bookshop. So if you're after that sort of thing, I just encourage you, visit the church bookshop. There'll be plenty there. And make training your kids a priority. You'll get one shot at that. One shot at train my kids. Josh is going to be 16 like, in two months. I can't believe that. It's crazy. It goes so quick in hindsight. It doesn't always feel quick. But it does go quick. We don't get... A long time, but you know, one thing I do want to add here is we can't save our kids. That is not us. That is God. We can train them. We can plant gospel seeds. We can build a platform to truth, but we can't save our kids. God, but God's word is powerful. God's word. God can use it to open up, to open up their eyes to the gospel. So let's encourage: be training our kids, but more importantly than that, pray for your kids. Pray that God opens their eyes to who He is. Pray that God opens their eyes to their need for a saviour. When we lived in America at the pastors College, we stayed with a family that had three kids. They actually had one while we were, while we were there. And they were just like, <clears throat> as far as we can concerned, they were just like the amazing parents. They did a great job. They encouraged their kids. They disciplined their kids. They just were great parents. So we got to the end of the year and we're like, okay, we don't have kids yet, but, you know, if Lord willing, God gives us kids. What's one thing that we need to do? Well, you know, I'm thinking, they could say anything. And I would always remember if they said, pray for your kids. I was like, wow. Out of all the things you do, you discipline them, you train them, you teach them about Jesus, you read the Bible with them, you play with them, pray for your kids. That is the most important thing that we can do because we cannot open our eyes to the gospel. They are dead in their sins. We need to be praying for our kids that God opens up their eyes. And that's one of the best uses that we can make of the time when we are with kids and we are married with kids all right so number five last one open nesters now we don't have many of these we definitely need more of these we need to be praying that god brings some more other women to our church but we do have a couple that are hedging that way <laughs> and we do that's somewhere that some of us are going to be in the years to come and the world tells you when you reach open nester status that you know you have done it you're a midlife you've achieved your children are less dependent maybe they've moved out They come and go, this is time for you. You have trained your kids. You have poured yourself out. Now is me time. Pour yourself into yourself. Serve yourself. Prioritise yourself. Stop serving too much. You know, even in the church. Put your feet up. Let the youngsters do the running. You know, you've done it. That's what the world says to us. But that is not what the Bible says to us. You know, in Titus 2, 3 to 5, Paul actually gives older women a job description. He says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. For all of us, but particularly for older women, that is your job description. That is what you're called to do. If you are an older woman, if you are married, continue to prioritize your husband. If you are a mum, Your children still need you. And that's one thing I keep getting told by the older women around me is you never stop being a mum. And I believe that's true. Your children still need you. If you're a grandmother, invest in your kids. Set a godly example. If appropriate, ask your kids how you can best support them in their parenting efforts. Be involved. Be an example. Keep running. And some questions to consider for you, empty nesters or open nesters, In what ways is God calling me to serve in this season? What has God had for you? What women has he put around you that you seek to encourage? You know, we have so many women in our church, particularly those with young kids who need old women to come around and encourage them, to point them to Jesus, to remind them why they're doing what they're doing. We need old women in our church. That's one thing I've so loved about the Titus 2 Groups we did last year and the year before. Just... For my own benefit, sitting in a group, hearing some of these older ladies talk about the faithfulness of God to them, talk about what they've learned through the years. That was such a blessing, and we need that, and we want that to continue, and we want all of us in here to become those older women. That is our heart and our prayer for sovereign grace. How can I use my skills and talents to strengthen the church? Who is God calling me to befriend, to mentor, or evangelise You know, older women, we need you. Your families need you. The church needs you. Don't sit back. Don't retire to the beach. Now, that's what God's called you to do when you're going to go serve him there. But keep looking carefully and keep walking wisely for the glory of God. Now, in closing then, that was not an exhaustive list. And there's not saying that there aren't other things that are good to do in those seasons. As I said, working is not wrong. Studying is great. All these things can be good to get involved in. But these are some of the building blocks that the Bible calls us to put in place in order that we might look carefully, in order that we might... Walk wisely. You know, there's always time to do what God has called us to do. You know, if you're looking at some of these things and you're thinking, "Oh my goodness, where am I going to get the time? I just don't have the time to do these things." Then you know, what? maybe you have some things you need to do this that God hasn't put there. Maybe that's something that we should all be considering. Elizabeth Elliot says it this way: One reason we are so hurried and hurried is that we make yesterday and tomorrow our business, when all that legitimately concerns us is today. If we really have too much to do, there are some items on the agenda which God did not put there. Let us submit the list to him and ask him to indicate which items we must delete. There is always time to do the will of God. If we are too busy to do that, we are too busy. Like how challenging is that? But let's submit our to-do list to God. Let's sit at his feet. Let's put all that we're doing before him and say, God, where? Where am I running in the wrong direction? What things should I be dropping? What things would you like me to pick up? You know, one thing um, that Dave and I often say to each other is that we want to get to heaven tired. And by that, what we mean is we want to finish the race well. We want to keep running. We want to run to the end. But I don't want to get to heaven tired doing the wrong things. I don't want to get to heaven and stand there and be like, oh my goodness, if only I'd known. I would have lived so differently. I would have done this differently. I would have done that. We're all going to make mistakes. There's going to be a degree of that. But I want to get to heaven tired doing the things that he has called me to do on the pathways that he has put me on. So encourage us all in men, on the different pathways of life that God has called us to walk, would we be women that look carefully? Would we be women that walk wisely? And would we be women who redeem the time that God has given us for his glory? Amen. let's pray. Lord, I thank you. For this time tonight, Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have sovereignly placed us on the pathways you've chosen for us. And Lord, help us to find comfort in that. Lord, for those that are on pathways that might not be their choice, pathways that are difficult, Lord, would they know your nearness? That your love, that you care for them, that that they are your child. Lord, would they be freshly encouraged to look carefully and walk wisely down that pathway? Lord, for all of us, we we be freshly encouraged to look carefully and walk wisely down the pathways that you've called us to. And Lord, we continue to glorify you in all that we do. Amen. Thank you, ladies.